I'm Jessie Galvin, and this is the Open Heart Rebellion, a place where we ignite our potential and awaken to the truth inside each of us. Coming to you today from Brighton in England, and I've just been for a walk along the seafront in the beautiful sunshine, and it feels like the perfect time to be with you here today for episode one. Now, the last few years has been a wild ride for everybody, And I've had a lot of time to reflect and ask myself how I can best be of service in the world. And so here we are, the Open Heart Rebellion podcast. Opening the heart has really been the core of my life for the last eight years and of my spiritual journey. And so this podcast is really an opportunity to have open conversation around how to find our magic and our gifts and how to bring them into the world. I'm going to be speaking with expansive people that have found their magic, listening to their stories, expanding on their wisdom through unscripted conversation. And my hope is that this might help others to plant seeds for bringing their own magic into this beautiful world. My intention is that this is a place to unite us in our humanness, to live with compassion and open hearts and open minds. So here we go. And just join me in taking a nice deep breath in through the nose. Let it out through your mouth. (sighs) So I thought this episode, we would start with who I am and how I came to be here. So I grew up in Winchester in England. I was very lucky. I had a very happy family life, lots of friends, access to amazing countryside and nature all around us. And from the age of three, I was training to be a ballet dancer. I was completely obsessed. I would dance every minute of every day. I was in ballet classes five days a week, sometimes six days a week, because being in my body made me feel alive. I didn't understand it at the time, but looking back, there's always been this connection to movement and being able to express creatively through finding that flow state. So I pretty much had my sights set on the Royal Ballet School. That's where I was heading. School kind of came secondary because I really felt so connected to this mission and where I was heading in my life. So I had this really beautiful life. Everything seemed like it was flowing in the direction of where I wanted it to go. But underneath, I've always experienced anxiety in some form or another for as long as I can remember. And over the years, it took on lots of different forms as it does. But one of the major ones that I can pinpoint was health anxiety. So I was always convinced that there was something wrong with my body, whether that was stomach problems, a throat infection, headaches that were magnified into something far worse, just aches and pains really overanalyzed. And this is from as early as being five or six years old, because one of my earliest memories of primary school was actually putting my hands over my mouth and holding my breath because somebody had been sick in the corridor and I didn't want to catch the sickness. And I remember this whenever my little sister was unwell, I would hide in my bedroom because I was so afraid of catching the sickness. And so this really translated into avoiding people whenever they felt sick because I, I was so distrustful of my body. I didn't understand. I thought that if there was sickness going around, I was going to catch it. I used to convince myself that I was sick as soon as somebody near me even coughed or sneezed. And I suppose on some level, I thought that everybody must be this worried about their health, that this was part of being human, that it was totally normal. And I had this terrible fear of flying that was coupled with a really bad flight to America when I was about 12. And I was really sick on the plane because I suffered with motion sickness. 
But then from that point onwards, I was terrified of being in an aeroplane to the point where until I was 25 years old, I couldn't get on a plane on my own. I've had parents, friends, my sister holding my hand for the moment we get on the plane to the moment we get off. And I'm sitting white knuckled, tears streaming down my face for the entire flight. And I, as it started to get better, I remember seeing people around me and they looked terrified just from the fear that I was emitting because I was so consumed with this fear of flying. And I had this overwhelming sense of sadness. The anxiety had really made its way, it's weaved its web into my life. And there was a sense of sadness. So I had this really happy childhood. But for some reason, I always felt anxious and depressed. Like there was something missing, something wasn't quite right. And this is where the sadness came in because I had these loving parents and family, my beautiful little sister, friends around me, my passion with dancing. But I didn't feel happy. I was always worried. And this sparked guilt around why I didn't feel happy. And so I was in this constant cycle of being triggered with anxiety or sadness or depression and then feeling guilty, which then fed into the anxiety. So a lot of my childhood was this real juxtaposition between the light of the dancing and the love that I felt and the darkness of the anxiety and the sadness. So when I was 13, I finally had my moment. I auditioned for the Royal Ballet School. We drove up to London, my mum, my dad and my sister Lulu. And I put my heart and soul into this audition. And we got back to Winchester and I had two weeks to wait for the letter. And I was pretty convinced that I was going. You know, I was, I'd given everything. This was my calling. This is what was supposed to be for me. And the letter came. And I took myself into our snug where we watched telly. And I sat down on my own, 13 years old, and I opened the letter. And my heart shattered into a million pieces. Because I hadn't got in. And that certainty, that need for certainty that was the one thing that helped mitigate the anxiety and the sadness, this path that had been so clearly mapped out for me, it felt like the rug had been ripped out from underneath my feet because the certainty had gone. And this really triggered me into a spiral of self-esteem and worthiness because I felt like I wasn't good enough. And this is one of the things that at a very early age being very competitive because we were constantly in competition with each other to be the most flexible, to be able to jump the highest, to get the main part in the show. It really instilled this low self-esteem that you had to fight, you had to be better, that you weren't enough exactly as you are. And this was a lot of pressure for childhood. So I carried on dancing because I loved it, but it wasn't the same. That love, that heart opening that I'd felt in my younger childhood had changed because my heart had broken. So I carried on dancing till I was 16, but it, as I got older, other things started to filter in. I started to be more excited about spending time with boys, going out, being with my friends. And so the dancing slowly started to make its way out of my life. But there was this huge gap this huge gap of certainty, of passion, of purpose, one that I didn't know how to fill. So when I was 18, I moved up to London. And being completely honest, the reason I moved to London was because all of my friends were moving to London. And I'd had this passion, I'd had this purpose, I'd had this 
mapped out trajectory of certainty and I keep saying the word certainty because that was what I crave when we struggle with anxiety certainty brings safety so when I lost that I started seeking outside of myself for these other ways to feel that certainty so I moved to London and I got really really busy I was one of those people that filled their life with things to avoid being alone I was in the pub five days a week I would jump around from different hobbies, making plan after plan after plan so that I wouldn't have to be alone with myself and my thoughts because that was the last place I wanted to be. Because in those moments, the sadness came. That huge void of uncertainty, the questions around my purpose, my passion, who I really was, what I felt like I needed in life, they were too painful to experience. So I decided to start traveling And so I popped over to Thailand with a couple of friends and this is when my health anxiety reared its head again because traveling, going to a foreign country was going to be a big risk and there was always this fear of getting sick. And so a month into my trip, I got really, really sick and I ended up in hospital for two weeks and I almost died. And it was so bad that my lovely friends stayed in the the hospital room with me because they were so afraid of me not making it through. And this was one of those moments where my greatest fear came true. And now I actually understand that that was a gift because when you you are faced with your greatest fear, it can no longer haunt you. So I survived, I made it back to London and I carried on looking for my purpose. So I started working for charities because I wanted to have an impact I felt like if it wasn't clear for me what I wanted to do, then at least I could be in service to other people. But that didn't really fill the gap because I found myself doing lots of paperwork and lots of admin, which is so far removed from the career I'd once imagined, the thing that made my heart sing, which was moving my body, feeling my energy flow. But I I was doing good work. You know, I worked for some beautiful charities and we made a real impact. So I carried on, but there was still an emptiness. And then I was thrown a curveball. My grandfather, who was my first spiritual teacher, died of cancer. And this really plummeted me into a darkness that I'd never experienced before. The loss of purpose, the grief of my certainty of my career of dancing was one thing, but this was something else. This was all-consuming. This was the, the darkness where all I wanted to do was pull my head under the pillow, pull the covers up and never come out. And I started to look for ways to avoid feeling my feelings. How can I numb this pain? Binge watching TV, going to the pub even more. And then I started taking Valium. I started self-medicating. And I'd sit every morning at my kitchen table having a cup of tea and a Valium before going out into the world because the world was too triggering. I didn't want to be part of it. But I found a little beacon of light, or so I thought, in numbing the pain. And so I numbed the pain for three years in secret until a friend of mine who I sat opposite at work managed to drag me to a yoga class. And the only reason she got me there was because it was literally opposite my house. So I put my head to toe black Adidas outfit on and head down. We trudged over to the yoga class and the woman opened the door. Colourful, beautiful, smiling face. And she opened her arms and she said, hello, darling, welcome to yoga and gave me a huge hug. And I recoiled. I did not want to feel her love. I did not want to feel her openness. 
because I had got used to numbing my pain and my joy. So I skulked into the back of the class, put down my towel because I didn't have a yoga mat and closed my eyes. And we started breathing. And I felt different. And we started moving. And something happened. Things started to shift. Started to reconnect to my body. And we got to the end of the class and we were lying in Shavasana, which is most people's favorite part of a yoga class. And I felt complete silence. For the first time in my life, my mind was clear. It felt as though my body was floating above itself. And there were no thoughts, there was no pain. Just complete bliss. And I felt a single tear. And in that moment, I realized that there was another way. I realized that peace was possible. And so I stopped taking Valium after that day. I went cold turkey, I just completely quit. And I replaced my Valium addiction with a yoga addiction, which is very, very healthy in comparison. So I started practicing yoga every single day. All the studios that I could find in East London, before work, after work, on my lunch breaks. So I wanted to immerse myself. I wanted to find more of whatever it was that I'd experienced in that first yoga class. And my friends had to start coming to yoga with me just so that we could spend time together so that they could grab me out for dinner afterwards. They had to come to the yoga class first because that was the only place I wanted to be. So after about a year of practicing yoga, I took myself on yoga retreat. And it was the first time I'd ever been on a plane alone. And this was a huge breakthrough for me. Because through my continual practice, I'd learned to trust my body again. I'd started to trust in life. Things had started to feel different. Synchronicities had started to happen. And I'd started to find the strength and the courage to face the things that scared me. So we're sitting in the villa in Portugal, sitting around the pool and talking about the world we want to live in and how we see our life. And bear in mind at this point, I still was pretty convinced that yoga was for hippies and I had secretly stuck myself into the yoga class and slid around the back still in my Adidas tracksuit. And one of the yoga teachers turned around to me and she just said, Jesse, you're a secret hippie. Being a hippie isn't about what you wear. It's not about whether you shave your armpits or not. It's about the way you see the world. And so from that point on, I was called the secret hippie. And I'd gone from wearing all black, self-medicated, not interested in anything, to the secret hippie with a vision for the world. I was starting to open my heart to life. And that's really where the open heart rebellion began. So I came back from Portugal and I met up with my boyfriend at the time. And this relationship had been quite an unhealthy one. It wasn't really serving me and deep down I knew that. And the more yoga I practiced, the more things had started to shift in all areas of my life. Because I'd started to get to know myself on a much deeper level. So I went to the pub and things had been a bit strange and he just turned around to me one day and said, Jesse, I've realized something. I don't love you as much as you love me. And this is one of those breakthrough moments in life that we're gifted, where you feel yourself rise up and expand. You know something's not serving you and you feel the faith in yourself to be able to change the situation. And so I looked at him and I said, actually, you've got that wrong. I love me more than you ever will. And I've just realized that. Thank you for this gift. Because from this moment, I'm committed to learning to love myself, to learning to be able to self-soothe, 
to be able to claim my power and my peace. And a month later, I found myself on a one-way ticket to India, alone on the plane again, having quit my job, signed up for a yoga teacher training. So I was there on the plane with my fear of flying, with my fear of getting sick, but with my newfound sense of self, this newfound power to speak my truth, to trust my body a little bit more and to follow what's happening because there was momentum. And when you start to feel that momentum, it is leading you somewhere if you can surrender to the uncertainty, which is what I had started to learn to do. So we're a month into the teacher training. I was absolutely loving it. I was in my flow. I was reconnecting to my body. We're in the sunshine. Goa is beautiful, making loads of new friends, spending my lunch breaks on the beach. And then the day after my birthday, I find myself in hospital. The same thing as Thailand had happened. I had problems with my stomach and I spent a week being intensively looked after by these wonderful nurses in this hospital in Goa. I couldn't believe it. The same thing had happened. But this time, I had a toolkit. I'd been practicing yoga, I'd been meditating. I had started to repair my relationship with my body. And I was aware that anxiety was creating things in my life. I'd started to notice that a lot of what I was experiencing in my body had been created by my mind. And one of my fellow yoga students came into the hospital one day and I was asleep. And when I woke up, I found The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle on my bedside table. And I just opened the book at any point and I read these words. Don't look for peace. Don't look for any other state than the one you are in now. You will set up an inner conflict and an unconscious resistance. Forgive yourself for not being at peace. The moment you completely accept your non-peace, your non-peace becomes transmuted into peace. Anything you accept fully will get you there. It will take you into peace. This is the miracle of surrender. And that moment changed my life because I realized that peace was internal and that my resistance to experiencing what was happening in the present moment was what was keeping me stuck in those cycles of anxiety, depression and sadness. So I closed my eyes, I lay back on my bed and I surrendered to the reality that I was in. And I lay there and I connected with my breath and I fully accepted where I was. And this peace washed over me, this healing peace. And the next day I was discharged from hospital. And so I'd always noticed this hill, this beautiful archway, very near the house that I was staying in. And it had always caught my eye on the way to driving to the yoga shala where we were practicing. And the day I came out of hospital, I found myself, without realizing, I found myself with my scooter parked at the bottom of this hill. And I knew I had to climb the hill. I don't know why, but I just found myself there and I surrendered to the process. And on the archway said the words, the light, the way. So I started climbing and I'd been in hospital for a while. So I was very, very weak and the sun was beating down on me and it felt like a rite of passage. I'd had this transcendental, this expansive experience in the hospital and this was my rite of passage into my healing. And so I was climbing a few steps and pausing, catching my breath until eventually I got all the way up to the top and I looked to the left and there was a sign that said, this is a healing hill. People that come here come because they are ready to be healed. And I felt something in my chest. It was like my heart cracked. 
and I took the three steps to the top of the hill. I sat down and I wept. I cried and I cried and I cried. And I can't tell this story without the emotion coming back because it was so profound to weep all of the sadness that I'd experienced, all of the emotions that I'd been numbing for most of my life. I experienced them in that moment. I was there for three hours and I cried until there were no more tears to come and then this moment of stillness happened and then the tears started again. But when the tears came the second time, they were tears of joy and I was eyes closed, crying, laughing at the same time. My body started shaking. It was this wonderful experience, crying the tears of joy from the tears of sadness. I moved from the darkness into the light. But I was only able to go there because I'd allowed myself to experience the depths of my sadness and the depths of my emotion. And this is what it means to be human. This is what I realized. This moment gifted me the understanding, the physical experience, that we can only experience these high states of joy when we allow ourselves to the humanness to experience the sadness. So I find myself back in England teaching yoga sharing this wisdom, this experience, this new practice with everybody I could find. I taught any yoga class I could find anywhere because I was i was just so filled with love and passion for this practice that had truly changed my life. And nine months later, I found myself back on a beach in Goa. I'd made some friends who owned a space on the beach where I'd planned to be teaching yoga for six months over the summer in Goa. And I got there and I was ready and I'd had this certain plan. And again, the certainty fell away because I got there and there was nowhere for me to teach. And I'd given up all of my classes in England. I'd bought a one-way ticket. I didn't have much money in the bank. And I'd committed to being there because I'd made this plan. And so I sat on the beach and I sobbed for a few hours. I swam in the sea. I sat in my favourite cafe drinking freshly squeezed orange juice and feeling really sorry for myself that my plans had gone completely upside down. And then I just surrendered. I said, okay, well, I'm going to surrender. There's something here for me. I was called back to India for a reason. Let's see what's here. And so I spent a few days with a couple of friends and was chatting to some new people. And over and over again, I kept being told to go to this place called Golkana. People kept saying, you should go to Gokana, I think you'd really like it. And then I'd overhear a conversation and somebody else would be saying, oh, Gokana is this magical place. And it's one of those synchronicities where you start to receive guidance. Those moments where things suddenly fall into your lap and you have no idea that they've come at exactly the right time because I was looking for where to go next. And this place kept coming onto my radar. So rather than holding on and trying to control the reality... I surrendered. I put into practice this miracle of surrender and I got on a train and I went to Gokana. And I was with another yoga teacher friend of mine and we'd found this tiny little puppy called Tuk Tuk. And she was sleeping in our hut with us because she was only maybe six weeks old and she was very vulnerable and she'd really become attached to us and we'd become attached to her. So we had this lovely relationship with her. And one evening, I was just about to go to bed and I was looking for Tuk Tuk. And I looked underneath this table and there sitting at the table was the most beautiful man I've ever seen. 
with these piercing eyes just looking straight at me. And I turned to my friend Jodie and I said, something's going to happen with that man. And that man is now my husband. Would you believe it? I mean, I wouldn't have believed it if you told me this a few years before that I would travel to India to pursue teaching yoga and a puppy would fall into my lap and lead me to the love of my life and a life that is more filled with love that I could ever have imagined. So the lesson from that story is really that magic is possible. You can manifest what you want. And I'll go into that more in another podcast episode because it really is a powerful story of manifestation, of learning to trust, of surrendering to the flow and of life exceeding your wildest expectations. So then I found myself on a one-way ticket to Australia where I lived for three years with Jefton, my partner. And in that time, I surrounded myself with healers, with meditation, with breathwork teachers, with people that were facilitating growth and change. In that time, I healed myself of my IBS, which was completely created by my anxiety. This was a symptom of my health anxiety. And I completely healed that with meditation. And in this time, I learned the power of community, of mentorship, of being around people that are able to collapse timelines because they are so embodied in their work. And I completely immersed myself in this time and it was three years of healing, of growth and expansion, of isolation, of learning to be alone truly, of going through moments of struggle, of not being able to call anybody in England because everybody's asleep and I'm on my own in Australia struggling with no friends and no one to talk to and learning to parent myself and walk myself through these hard times and really learning that the power is always within you, that no matter what's happening in your external world, there is this infinite reservoir of peace that resides within you if you can open your heart to the reality that you're experiencing. So we lived there for three years and then at the beginning of the pandemic, we moved back to the UK, which was another experience of growth, another opportunity to dive inwards. The world goes quiet. It's a, it was an opportunity for us to really condense what we've learned, to put it into practice, to embody our work and to understand that every situation in life is an opportunity for growth. So when I reflect back on my story, on the parts that I've shared with you today, not being able to follow my certain path was a gift because it catapulted me into an understanding and learning to be okay with uncertainty. The moment with my ex-boyfriend when he told me he didn't love me and I felt like my heart was going to be ripped out of my chest for a brief moment was the beginning of my quest to really know and love myself. So life has been punctuated by moments of complete bliss a stillness in my mind which has literally catapulted me into my spiritual practice as a way of life. And I know it sounds lofty and possibly a bit woo-woo for some of you, but in my experience, the way to finding your greater purpose and fulfillment is to be brave enough to be vulnerable and to be radically honest with yourself, to truly embrace what it means to be human, the things we perceive as bad and the things we perceive as good, to hold space for the wide range of emotions that we have and to love yourself through it all. And that's not easy because fear is everywhere. Fear of doing the wrong thing, fear of saying the wrong thing, of expressing yourself, fear of ju judgment or shame, it's everywhere. 
And this is what the open heart rebellion is. It's a response to fear. Because fear cannot exist in a healed heart. And when you move through life with courage, strength and trust, anything is possible. Your magic, your unique gifts are waiting for you to discover them. They're waiting for you to be honest with yourself, to move through life with grace, to trust yourself that you can always handle what life throws at you and to surrender to what's here right now, to be truly present with your life so that you can live an extraordinary life. And I believe that that is possible for everybody. And that's what this is about. That's what we're here to explore together. How can we open our hearts amidst the fear? How can we move with peace through chaos? How can we expand beyond what our mind can comprehend? And it starts with trust, with trusting yourself, with reclaiming your power, with having the courage to speak from your heart. And I am so excited to share this journey with you, to expand together, to explore together, to be human together, to meet from a place of compassion. So from my heart to yours, this is the Open Heart Rebellion. I'll see you soon.